Well, good morning. No Lego pieces today, unfortunately. Uh, I am honored and humbled to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, if you will, if you have your Bibles uh, or your YouVersion apps, uh, please join me in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If you're flipping through your Bible, it's towards the back of the New Testament, uh, right before the book of James. Um, Corinthian Church is going through a series called uh, Let Go and Let God. The point of the series is for, to, for us to learn, to be reminded of, hey, letting go of our stresses, letting go of our fears, letting go of things that uh, draw us away from him, from the Lord, and giving it to the Lord and saying, Lord, here it is, you take care of it, because he promises that he definitely will. Today we will dive more into letting go and letting God. Hebrews chapter 4, if you would join me in verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And God's word says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Since I was young, I've always been fascinated by ants. When I was younger, I thought about making a story, writing a story about ants. Uh, my siblings and I, we would go to the school near our house looking for ant hills, uh, taking grasshoppers, throwing them in there. Just because I wanted to see how ants work and what they did when you disturb their ant hills. In fact, one day we went looking at our school and I kid you not, four different times we saw different ants fighting each other. It was awesome. I love ants so much that this picture right here I took literally on Tuesday. I was going to water the garden in a little community. On the way back, I saw two creatures pulling something. So I stopped to take a what? A picture. I am fascinated by ants. I think they're amazing. Now, when I was in fifth grade, a movie came out about ants that I was excited about called A Bug's Life. Excited about it. Went to go, looking forward to watching it. But I was disappointed. Because the ants in that movie weren't ants at all. They were cowards, afraid of grasshoppers, which is unlike ants. A couple years later, a different movie came out called Ants. And in that movie, I think it portrays ants more realistically. They fight termites. There's an order system. There's a queen. It was awesome. They're not afraid of grasshoppers. In fact, they will attack grasshoppers if you need to. Great movie. The main character in that movie is called Z. And early in the movie, Z struggles with this idea. All I do is work, 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 work. There's no purpose to my work. There's no fulfillment to what I'm doing. I want something more. I want something different. I work and work and work and work every single day without joy, without satisfaction. I believe what Z experiences is what most of us in America experience. We work, we work, and work, and work. When I was a young kid, I was born in the Congo, moved to the States when I was about eight years old. In the Congo, the U.S., 
is essentially right below heaven. You have heaven, you have the U.S. As a young kid, the thing is, you go to America, yeah, you'll work some, but you'll rest. You'll be able to enjoy the labor of your work. But you come here and we work. Even when we're supposed to be resting, well, what are we doing? We are working. Honestly, I'm guilty of this. I work all the time. In fact, I can't stop work sometimes. It's 10 o'clock. There's dishes. Guess what I do? Instead of going to bed like I should, what do I do? I go and try to clean it up. We work and work and work and work. Crazy hours of work. Taking our kids to sporting events. And so much we're constantly working. In fact, someone said most of us work to live. Hoping that our work will give us more. Give us joy. Or give us rest. Or fulfillment that never comes. And we see the effects of what that's doing to us. Now, I'm not against work. right? I would argue that God made us to do work, to do good work. But what we need, most of us in this country, maybe it's some of you guys, is we need rest. Not just any kind of rest. The kind of rest that essentially uh, brings about fulfillment. That brings about joy. The rest that truly allows one to enjoy what they have done. Where do we receive this rest? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us this in our passage this morning. Look at the first part of verse 16. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. The, the word grace in the original language just means gift. It's a gift. Now why do I say this? Well, in chapter 3, before this particular chapter, the author has been talking about how ancient Israel, how God's people, how they were looking for rest. They were looking for, for a rest that would end all their, their, their unfulfilled life. And the author says they never achieved it, even though God promised them rest. They never got it. The fact that God would give his enemies, by enemies I mean those who uh, he created to, to work the world, to, to be his image, those who rebelled against him, the fact that God would promise them rest is an act of grace. Right? Rest from God is an act of grace. The writer says, we find this grace, we find this rest at a throne that is called grace. Think about that. God's throne is a throne known as grace. And continues in verse 16 as well, we also receive mercy when we need it at that throne. Now, most of us in our country were not familiar with thrones because our country was established, I think rightfully so, against thrones. We wanted independence to think freely for ourselves without somebody commanding us what to do or what not to do. But most thrones are not known to be gracious, are not known to be a place of mercy. In my country, the Congo, when I was there for most of my life, we had a dictator a ruler, you might say, called Mobutu. Mobutu was the kind of person who, if you spoke out against him and didn't support him, 
he would do this. He would come to your house. He'd let you know in advance. Come to your house with a limo, with security, pick you up, make you feel important, take you to a fancy restaurant, wine and dine you, you might say. Afterwards, take you to his dungeon below his palace, throw you in a cave, and watch you be eaten by wild leopards, which were the animal bird or animal or the country animal at that time. All because why? You didn't accept his rulership. His throne was not a place to receive mercy. If he summoned you, you were not expecting to find grace there. And this is true in the ancient world. When the writers writing this, the, the person on the throne in the empire is probably Nero. You don't find grace there. You don't find mercy there. But unlike human thrones, the author says where God is ruling and reigning, God's throne is a place where we receive grace, where we receive mercy. So where do we find rest? We find it at God's throne. Go over to verse 16, the second part of it. He says, we find grace and mercy to help us in time of need. But we are to approach that throne with confidence. Approach that throne with confidence. The idea of, of confidence speaks to the idea of freedom. When someone is confident, they, they feel free. They're, they're free to do what they want to do. Here's an illustration. I teach at Valor. Uh, I teach Bible there. And this past um, spring, uh, I was asked to oversee prom. So because I met my wife in college, we never went to prom together. So I invited her to prom for the first time. It was kind of sweet. And one of my classes wanted to throw a little prom celebration. They, basically, they wanted to do class. They wanted to throw a celebration. So I said, yes, yeah, sure. And so my wife came with the kids. And I asked her to prom in front of my, my students. And it was awesome. They were celebrating. There was, you know, confetti and cake everywhere and that kind of stuff. And before leaving, um, my kids walked out with my wife. And I was going to teach for about five minutes. And before I get up to go teach... I'm about to start teaching, and Ambrose and Mela came back in the room to give me one more big hug and kiss before going back with my wife and leaving while I was about to teach. Now, if my students did that before teaching, they'd be in trouble. Like, why disturb my teaching? Why come back? They, they can't do that. But my kids, Ambrose and Mela, felt confident to do that. Why? They knew who their dad was. They knew who I was. Knew that I cared about them, that I loved them, that I am there for them. They felt confident. They felt free to do that. The writer says, approach God's throne with confidence. Why? Because the one sitting on the throne. We can go to the Lord. No matter what we're experiencing, what we're going through. Not because of anything else, but because of who he is. Because he invites us, he calls us toward his throne. Look at verse 14 through 15. He says, we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus. So let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. About the one on the throne... The writer says, 
He's a priest. Not just any priest. He's a high priest. He's the lead priest. But he continues. He is the great high priest. In our modern lingo, if the writer was talking about superheroes, he would say the one who's on the throne is the superhero of superheroes. He's so great, the writer says he's gone through the clouds. He's gone to the heavens. He's gone to God's face. That's how great he is. There's no other person who has done that other than Christ Jesus. No other person has uh, been able to be elevated to the status that's above all other statuses other than King Jesus. That's the one who's on the throne. Think about that for a second. The one sitting on the throne who invites you, who welcomes us, is the greatest there is. I love basketball. I still play pickup basketball because I still find it fascinating. There were times when I was younger, I'd go to the park to play with some friends, and the team we're about to play is really good. They're stacked, they're amazing. You'd be nervous because you're going to lose. Until a great player came up and wanted to join your team. And you felt confident. That's what's happening here. Our confidence to approach God's throne is because of the one who is sitting on the throne. None other than Jesus. Now, if that doesn't give, give us enough confidence, the writer continues. He says the one on the throne is able to sympathize with us. The Greek word for sympathize basically speaks to the idea of being able to feel or to be affected by the ones that you are feeling for. So here's an example. Um, when I was in high school, in, in youth group especially, we watched skateboarders do their things and jump and do flips and so forth. And every single time they fell, what was my reaction? Ooh, ah, why? Because you know what it feels like or what it would feel like to experience that kind of pain. Or watching movies where the husband dies or the, 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 the wife dies or the kids die, you begin to what? Cry. Have you all seen Encanto by any chance? Anybody? Disney movie? Okay, I haven't seen it yet. If you haven't seen it, you're not, it's okay, you're not missing much. I haven't seen it. Uh, a couple of nights ago, I get home and my wife is watching it. And there's a moment where it's pretty sad. I won't spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it. It's pretty sad. I'm like, honey, why are you watching this? Right? I can't watch that movie anymore. Why? Because I connect it to my life. I feel it. When I watch a movie where a spouse passes away or, or she's sick or, or, or the kids are hurt, I feel it as a father or as a husband or as a friend. Right? That's sympathizing with someone. And the writer says that the one on the throne sympathizes with us. He feels what we go through. Why? Because he's been tempted in every way as we have been. He's been in our shoes. I told my young kids of valor when, I, when I'm teaching about Jesus' early childhood, I'm like, Christ knows what, you're, what you feel. He's been where you're at. Rejected. Insulted. Belittled. The joys of life. He's felt all of it. 
So when we experience it, guess what? He knows. But unlike other religions, the leader of this religion, of Jesus, he chose to experience that. He chose to come to where we are at, to experience what we experience, and to feel what we feel. It's why we're able to be saved by him. Because he knows what we go through. Right, the great message about Christianity is our God doesn't save from a distance. He doesn't look at us, oh, you're, you're, you're in pain, you're in sin, you're suffering. Okay, let me save you from, from up here. No, he jumps into our mess to save us. Think of a mother walks into a little baby's crib and sees throw up and poop everywhere on the bed. Well, how will she save or, or, or clean her little one? From a distance? No. She'll get in there, pick her up, let the, the, the disgustingness get on her in order to what? To clean her little child. That's what God has done for us. He saved us, not from, not from being way up there, but from coming to where we are at. To a point to where death, the, the biggest, baddest enemy there is, undefeated, even death affected Jesus. So he knows. The fear that we may experience, the pain, he knows it. Elie Wazel is the author of a book called Night. In fact, it's a, it's a series of books. He's a Holocaust survivor. And he writes essentially about his experiences. One of the books called Night, in a certain section, he's talking about how uh, one day or one evening there, that the whole camp was forced to uh, go to the center and watch, to the gallows and watch uh, these, you might say, rebels um, be killed. What happened was there were two adults and a young kid, and they were, they were trying to escape. They got caught. And as punishment for that, they were going to be hung. And the whole camp was supposed to watch this to learn a lesson. Without going into the details of this, when the young kid is about to be hung and he's struggling as he's hanging there, Wazel said, I heard a voice in my head saying, where is God in the midst of this? Where is God while our people are being exterminated? Where is God while we are starving and dying? Where is God in the midst of this little boy being, be, being killed and struggling to die? Where is God in all of this? Where is God when we're experiencing stress from work? When we are exhausted? When we are rejected, where is God in all of this? At the same time, Wazel heard another voice in his head saying, God is right there with that boy, dying with him. Christ died on the cross, was hung for us. The beauty of Christianity is that our leader, our God, came to where we are at to experience what we experience. Hence why he can sympathize with us. Hence why we can go to him with confidence. Not only, not only does he welcome us, but he knows what we go through. 
In other words, at the throne of grace, we find the Lord's rest. At the throne of grace, we find the Lord's rest. Rest from stress. Rest from rejection. Rest from constantly working. We find it at God's throne. Some of us, what that means is we need to go to Jesus. And so, Lord, here I am. As broken as I am, as tired as I may be, as exhausted as I am, here I am. For some of us, it may mean, hey, we need to uh, be okay with not keep up with, keeping up with the Joneses and say, this is, this is okay. What we have here is enough. What God has given us is sufficient. For others, it might be, hey, I need to create a pattern in my, in my weekly, base, uh, weekly rhythm to stop working and to actually enjoy my family, to do something fun and enjoyable. All those small things remind us of a future rest that is coming. That we can experience now, little by little, when we go to God's throne. The one on the throne says, come. Right? Then Jesus said, hey, come to me, those who are weary and burdened. And I will give you what? Rest. Rest for your soul. Rest from pressure of the world. Rest from, from sin. The kind of rest that is fulfilling. That gives you purpose and meaning in life. The Lord's rest. We find that at God's throne. At the throne of grace, we find the Lord's rest. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are a God who entered into our mess, entered to where we are at. Not because you had to, but because you chose to do so. Because you love us. And you are now calling us to you to receive what only you can give, to receive the grace, receive the rest that you provide. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, as we go forth, that we would come to you as we are find, to discover what we need that only you can give. Lord, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. All this for your glory and for your name. In Jesus' name.